It's only fitting that we begin this time together now in prayer. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Almighty God, we do come before you, our Father. And we come not because of what we deserve, but because Christ has done the work to count us as your sons and daughters. Father, we bring to you the needs of our congregation, or even some of them. Father, we together thank you for protecting our brother Julian Chapman this week when he fell. Father, thank you for the medical care and the family who were able to care well for him. Father, we pray that you would give him healing, that you would ease the pain of our brother. Father, we pray for a quick recovery. Even more so, Father, we pray that you would use this fall in his life to, give, to help give him fresh attention to you and fresh dependence on you, that you would continue to grow our brother. Father, as some of our members this week participate in the Walk for Life, we thank you for the gift of human life. Father, we, we pray that you would work in our land to, to spare more lives of unborn children. Father, we pray that we as disciples would be willing to individually use our voices to stand for the oppressed and the vulnerable, as your word clearly teaches. Work, we pray. Father, this morning, as we study your word on prayer, uh, we pray for your help as a church, that we would turn from prayerlessness. Father, we say what the disciples said, teach us to pray. Work this in us, we pray, O oh God. That the spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. We quickly, so quickly give up praying. Father, we ask in accordance with your will that you would make us become more of a people of prayer. May we pray in worship of you. May we pray in confession. May we pray bringing our needs to you. Will you help our members to pray regularly for one another and specifically? May we be the type of church that quickly shares true and real needs of prayer in our fight against sin and our, our longing for holiness. Father, we pray not only just for our church, but for other churches, and we thank you that we are not the only church in our area, in our state, in our country, which is preaching the gospel according to your word. Father, even this morning, we pray for our brother, Pastor Wade Arthur, at Palm Springs Baptist Church. As he preaches on Romans 15, Father, may you build up their church. May they grow in Christ. May they grow in number. May they grow in godliness as they know you and love you more, even today. Father, we pray not only for churches in our country, but we pray for other churches around the world. We thank you that you are not a tribal God. You are a global God. You are a God over the universe. So, Father, we pray. This week we pray for Ukraine and the churches that are there in Ukraine. Father, would you build up uh, the congregations that are in hardship right now? Would you strengthen them according to your word and according to your spirit? Father, be with pastors in that land to be firm and bold for your gospel, we pray. Now, as we go to your word, open our eyes 
that we may behold wonderful things from your word. Draw us near to you today, we pray. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I wonder if you remember the story, the classic movie of The Wizard of Oz. Dorothy, the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, the Cowardly Lion, they each have their own needs and they all make their way to the Emerald City to meet the all-powerful wizard. The journey was long and difficult. When they finally make it to the gate of the Emerald City, uh, the gatekeeper tells them, no one gets to see the wizard. You're wasting my time. The wizard is difficult to see. When they plead, the, the gatekeeper reluctantly lets them in, a part that just happens to be played in the movie by the same actor as the wizard. He, he reluctantly lets them in, and they come into the city. They have to get cleaned up before going before the wizard, and then their meeting is delayed. Well, when they're finally able to come before the, him, their requests, if you remember the scene in the movie, they just epitomize fear and trepidation before the great wizard of Oz. You remember the intimidating wizard says that no favors will be granted until they first serve him and go get the, queen, the witch's broomstick. Well, the, the whole sub-theme of this part of the movie is that approaching that great and powerful wizard was to be done nervously, reluctantly, even apologetically. They're approaching him to make requests of him was really a bothersome interruption. Friends, I wonder how many of us view our approach to God like this, nervously, reluctantly, maybe asking things of him, even apologetically. Is your natural impulse to think of God as one who is reluctant to entertain the requests of your heart? Do you subconsciously, naturally think that to, to gain a hearing with him, you have to be cleaned up. You, you maybe have to do something to accomplish uh, the gaining of his favor. You need to wait your turn, and then, then maybe then, you'll gain a hearing with him, but begrudgingly. For Christians, this approach to bringing our needs to God couldn't be more wrong. Even as Scripture does call us towards reverence of God, as his children, Christians are called to run to him freely. This is the point of today's text in the book of Luke. In one sentence, here's the argument of the passage. Ask boldly, for you have a good father. Ask boldly, for you have a good father. This week, we're back in the book of Luke, and we've come to chapter 11, which Stephen just read for us. If you haven't already, turn your, with your, me and your Bibles there. If you can remember five weeks ago, back when we were in Luke, we took a, a hiatus during the month of September. The passage before this emphasized that, that shocking welcome that Christ gave to Mary to come sit at his feet. Well, here Jesus teaches his disciples that this is not merely the way we approach Christ as the Son of God, but this is how we approach God the Father in prayer. 
We are to pray with that same boldness that Mary had when she put herself at Jesus' feet. Now, this readiness to pray is actually something that we've seen modeled for us time and again throughout the book of Luke as we've been working through it over the last year. Uh, Here in verse 1 of our passage, notice Jesus was praying again in a certain place. And we realize we've seen this pattern before. If you were to flip back, you, you don't have to do this with me, but just uh, back in Luke 3, 21, you'll remember when Jesus was baptized, he was praying when the heavens were opened. Or then in Luke 5, 16, Luke records that Jesus would withdraw to desolate places to pray. Or down in Luke 6, 12, we find that all night Jesus stayed up praying. Or in Luke 9, 18, uh, the disciples there were there with Jesus, and Jesus was there praying alone. Or 9.28, he went, goes up to a mountain to pray to his heavenly Father, where he's transfigured in glory. Or down in Luke tw- 10, 21, Jesus tells us a prayer that he just breaks out in prayer to God the Father in. And so here in, in Luke 11, we're not surprised at all to find that Jesus is again praying. Jesus prayed a lot. He was a man of constant prayer to the Father. I wonder if the same could be said of you. In light of this, we're not surprised when the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray. Apparently, prayer is something that must be learned. And so we find here Jesus' teaching on prayer in this passage. Uh, There's three sections in the text. We'll just move through them in order. Uh, Here we'll see the model that we have, the posture that we need, and the person that we find. So model, posture, person. That's where I'm going today. uh, First, number one, the model that we have is found in verses 2 through 4. It's from Jesus. We often call it the Lord's Prayer. As some have pointed out, maybe it's, it could be better called the disciples' prayer because it's for us, the disciples. Uh, Jesus assumes, notice, that the disciples will pray. He doesn't say if you pray or if you need to pray. Notice he says when you pray. And so then he gives us six phrases or statements which model for us what we should say when we approach God. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Each of these lines is just worthy of your meditation. You could just take one of these each day this week, and just like a, like a mint kind of sitting in the side of your mouth, just meditate on it each day, and just kind of releases its sweetness to you throughout the day, and the next day go into the next phrase. It would be a great exercise for your meditation this week. But let's look at them briefly now, though. Uh, Look at the first phrase. He says, hallowed be your name. So God's name, his reputation, all that is about him is to be honored and revered and set aside as holy. He says, your kingdom come. So our desire is that God would reign in our lives and in the lives of others, both in this world now and ultimately most fully in the time to come. He says, give us this day our daily bread. So God is the provider of everything we need. We look to him. We trust him. Not just weekly. Notice it says daily we are to do this. Forgive us our sins. So we we constantly look to God for forgiveness. He grants us who are Christians pardon when we become justified 
as we are Christians, uh, when we become Christians. And yet, here we see our posture is to be continually looking to him in confession of ongoing sin in our lives. He says, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And so what this here is not saying is that we earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. No, this is rather saying that we for, that the way we forgive others displays our understanding of our own need of forgiveness, that they're linked together. Lastly, he says, lead us not into temptation. So daily we fight sin. We ought to ask God for his help in the fight against sin in this world. Friends, here we find what John Bunyan describes as this, what prayer is. It's the, the sincere, affectionate pouring out of the heart to God. That's what's happening. Here, Jesus is teaching us to, be, to praise, be praising God, to be confessing our sin to him, and to be asking for his help. Now, commonly, uh, I receive different types of questions about the Lord's Prayer. Let me just answer a couple that might be coming to mind, even as you hear me talk about it here. You will, you will know, have noticed that Luke and Matthew are a, a bit different in the way that they record the Lord's Prayer. Why might this be? Well, certainly, if Jesus taught this as a way to pray, likely he repeated it often so that his disciples would actually learn these themes. Uh, so these, some of these differences that we see help us to realize that it's not so much the exact words that we're saying— as we say the prayer, as the themes, the, the truths that we're rehearsing in our hearts as we come to God in trust. You might ask, can we use these words, though? Well, absolutely. Notice in verse 2 when he says, when you pray, say this. So he's not limiting us to just saying these words, but if they're sincere for your heart, this is a great thing to be praying each day before God. Well, you should ask, who should pray this? And perhaps this is the most overlooked aspect of the Lord's Prayer, as it is often studied. Notice that all of the pronouns in this prayer are in the plural, not in the singular. I wonder if you saw that. He says, give us, forgive us, we ourselves, or are indebted to us, lead us not into temptation. The, the idea is that while you should pray yourself to God, we see this elsewhere in Scripture clearly, it seems here Jesus is expecting that his people are praying together as one voice, asking for God for these things. This is why Bob, just a few moments ago, led us in a prayer of confession as one people admitting our sin to God. This is why often we have a prayer of praise in our service, as one people telling God together how glorious he is, or why, why we make it a point to have a prayer of petition where we together every Sunday come to God and admit our needs, our reliance on him. It's right that we do this together. This is one reason why it would be great for you to come this evening, to the Sunday evening service, where we will spend time as a body praying together. That's what we're going to do tonight. This prayer teaches us, as a church, to together, to ask boldly, for we have a good Father. Thankfully, this prayer not only teaches us the model for prayer, but notice, secondly, the posture that we need. Look, look at verse 5. 
And follow along as Jesus gives us this illustration for what this looks like. We read in verse 5, he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. So Jesus here tells a, a common story with a strange application. You see, in a Middle Eastern context, this would have been just an incredibly relatable story for the average hearer to hear. A, a, a neighbor seems to have this guest show up at their house in the middle of the night. Hospitality towards a guest would have been understood as just a, a high priority in this culture. The host, who has this guest arrive, seems to find himself in, in the embarrassing and this urgent situation of having nothing to offer the guest, who came in perhaps after a long day journey. He didn't have food to feed him. So he was himself needing help in order to be a good host. So despite it being the middle of the night, this neighbor goes next door to his neighbor's house, Jesus sets the scene by saying it's, it's midnight. So, you know, you can imagine an agrarian society. Uh, the sun had gone down. There's no electricity, no lights. So midnight means everyone has gone to bed. And here comes the neighbor pounding on the gate, asking for help. And it doesn't matter that it's late for him. The thought of not having food to feed his guest, it was just unthinkable. And so, even in the way Jesus tells the story, you can almost hear the annoyance of this situation. As the neighbor inside is sleeping, he calls out, don't bother me, the door is shut, my children are in bed, I can't get up. Likely this would have been a, a one-bedroom home, and the family would have been sleeping together in that room. The children were asleep. As all, we all know, you don't want to wake sleeping children. Speaking the language of moms and dads in the room, who know what it's like to tiptoe back to your bed after finally getting the baby to sleep. This is the scene. Don't make noise. And there at the door is the neighbor pounding, awkwardly, rudely, waking up the house. And the door is shut, by the way. So in this culture, the front door would have been likely a large gate with a large latch. The problem isn't that the neighbor, the man, can't spare three loaves of bread. No, he has the power to help. The problem is the annoyance of the first degree. It is a bothersome time to come ask for help. And so this neighbor at the door has to convince the man inside in bed to get up and come help him. Jesus says the man will get up. He'll wake up the family. He'll open the door, he'll share his bread, not because he's a good guy, not because he's a friend, but because of the boldness of the neighbor. 
This is what is surprising in this passage. Jesus is setting up this whole scene to put a spotlight on that man's posture in knocking on that door. The man has impudence, Jesus says. This word impudence in verse 8 is a word that means a mix of, of shamelessness and boldness together. You could translate it uh, brazenness. You could actually translate it rudeness. This was a rude neighbor just boldly banging on the door in the middle of the night. And the neighbor is being bold to just ask. He knows his need for bread. He, he knows the man inside can give him the bread. He's not thinking about annoying the giver. He's, he's running with his needs. He is he's asking, he's seeking for bread. He's, he's knocking at that door. And this impertinence is the whole reason Jesus sets up this scene. Jesus says, do you want to know how to pray? Do you want to know what your, your posture of your prayer to God should be like? Run shamelessly. Go. Go to the source and ask for help. Ask boldly, for you have a good father. Risk waking God up at night. Now, the, the comparison here isn't really focusing so much on God as the one being bothered, but rather on, on us, on how we should ask. It's not saying that God is, is like that bothered, annoyed person inside of the house. It's, it's putting the spotlight on this, this persistent man at the door. And this should be shocking for us to hear from our Lord. We know, you know, that if you want to ask something of someone, especially if that person's important— if you want to ask for a favor, you generally should ask carefully, right? I mean, that's just your instinct. So if a teenager wants permission to use the car, then he needs to cozy up to his parents. And if you want to ask your boss for a few days off of work, well, you should just think about how you're going about that. Or if you ever get the chance to talk to someone important like a governor or, my goodness, you, if you ever get an audience with the President of the United States, the higher their position, the more caution, the more care you should think about in what you're about to ask them. Well, we know that we should think before you make your ask. Bring something and, and soften it. Don't ask for too much all at once. But no, Jesus in verse 9, did you see it there? He says, ask, seek, and knock. Now here, he's clearly referring back to the story that he just told. He's picturing that man out the door, and he says, you be like him. Ask and, and seek and knock. Come looking. Ask boldly. These three words, by the way, they're in the present active tense. So they're expected to be happening continually. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And they're all also in the imperative. They're all commands. So you should be asking. You should be seeking. You should be knocking. Christian friends here today, I, I wonder how this verse speaks to your prayer life. I know some of you have, been, uh, have prayer requests that you have been praying for quite some time. I know there are prayers for loved ones that uh, aren't saved or prayers for peace 
and freedom from anxiety uh, that just seems to be slow to come, or prayers for freedom from sin that just seems so besetting in your life. Well, there is a false view of God that says, God knows what you need, his sovereign, he should do whatever's in his will, so don't bother him. God's word here is telling us to risk going to him too boldly, too often. Risk going to God too many times in prayer. Sure, evaluate that your prayer is fitting with scripture. Actually, that's what the beginning of the passage is for. So you can look at the model above and you can say, is, is your prayer hallowing his name? Is it honoring his name is holy? Are you praying in a, in a way that would see his kingdom come? Are you, are you praying for your, your daily needs, trusting his provision? Sure, check it according to that model. But if it's a good request, then don't grow tired of asking your father. Go ahead, ask boldly, for you have a good father. Now, we need to be convinced this is so unnatural because we're speaking to the God of the universe, the one who has all power to change everything. So how is it that Jesus can spotlight this impertinence, this rudeness, this, this impudence? How can we run to God on, on bordering on rudeness before him? Here we come to point number three, the person that we find. Uh, look at verse 11 and following as we think about the person we're going to. We read, What father among you if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus here uses irony to land his punch. Imagine being a dad who has your son come and ask you, for something to eat, a fish or an egg. Well, you would never make the mistake of giving him a venomous snake. You just wouldn't do it. If your child needs food, a, a, a father doesn't give him a scorpion. No father, at least any good father, even us as evil, flawed humans, know that no father should do that. That's not how it works. And you aren't God. You're, you're tainted by sin. You're evil. So you still understand this basic idea. Well, doesn't God? He's good. Doesn't God know how to answer your prayers better than you do? Won't a gracious and merciful God do a better job of taking care of you, do, you than you do with your own children? Friends, notice Jesus here is convincing us to pray. His his pleading with us to go, go before God. He's saying, ask, ask boldly, for you have a good father. Now what's stunning here in this final section are, are two turns that the text seems to take here at the end. And, and I wonder if you caught the significance of them. Let me just point to them both out to you. Uh, first of all, the first turn that I'm noticing here in this final portion is did you notice that the role of God in this second illustration switches from being a friend who can help with the bread of his neighbor to being that of a heavenly father? 
how is it that we run to God with impudence, bordering on rudeness? How is it that we come before the creator of the universe and just boldly ask for what we desire? Well, to be motivated rightly in our prayer, we need the doctrine of adoption. That's what we're seeing here. See, if you're a Christian, you don't just come before God as the glorious creator, which he is. If you're a Christian, you run to God like a child runs to his daddy. The Bible teaches that when we become Christians, God adopts us as his children. Timothy Keller is so helpful here. He points out, uh, just watching children, have you ever seen how a young child, like a four-year-old or a five-year-old, just runs to their father? They, they don't know protocol. They, they don't understand when to ask and when to wait. They're not distracted by the fact that their dad is the boss or even the president of the United States. Only a child can, can run up to the king and with bold rudeness interrupt the king because he's their dad. And they know how to help him. Dad will know what to do. I can go to dad. Well, when the curtain is pulled back on the wizard, friends, in the movie, Dorothy realizes that that wizard just wasn't as great as, they real, as she thought. But, but not for us. Here, when the, the curtain is pulled back on who God is, we realize that God is every bit as great as we imagined him more. And yet, he's also our father. He's, he's our, our, our father who's longing to welcome us in. This is what scripture is saying here. The only way it makes sense, the only way that this impertinence makes sense without being blasphemous if, is if God is not just the judge of the universe who can do whatever he wants. But if you look up and you see that the judge sitting there looking down on you is also a good father waiting for you to ask for what you need. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, what you need more than anything else is a relationship with God, where he is not merely king and judge, although you do need to recognize that, but where he is also a father. The Bible teaches us that, that you and I, we've all wronged God. We deserve punishment. We've been separated from our relationship with him. But when Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and rose from the grave, he, he acted as a substitute on our behalf, taking the sin that we have and making us right with God. And the Bible says that anyone who trusts in him will now have their relationship restored. Anyone who trusts on Christ will be made right with God again. In fact, they will now come to know God not just as supreme Lord, but as their own father. If you're a Christian, this should matter to you as well. You see, if you want to pray, you must truly believe the nature of the gospel. You must believe what, what I spend time every week telling this room about. 
that, that we come to God not based on what we do, but what Jesus has already done. You've got to apply this understanding of adoption to your prayer life. See, there's a, there's a false gospel that works a little bit like the Wizard of Oz that says you get yourself cleaned up, you do enough, you work hard enough, maybe you can convince God to hear your prayer. No, the true gospel says because of Christ, you are now God's child. He looks at you and he waits for you to come ask of him. He looks at you like a good dad looks at his son, just waiting for him to come. This is why, by the way, Jesus began his prayer. I skipped over it, but he began his prayer addressing Almighty God as Father. Your adoption is the key that should just unlock your prayer life. This is central. This is central to what it means to be a Christian, to come into this good relationship with God. Listen to how J.I. Packer puts it. This is just so helpful. Just read the entire quote here. He says, if, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity— Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctly Christian— as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Friends, ask boldly, for you have a good father. By, way, by the way, just a practical way, if you're wanting to grow in thinking about your adoption Maybe even this afternoon, you could just spend time reading Galatians 4, 3 through 7. Just go ahead and jot that down if you, if you want to read more about your adoption. Galatians 4, 3 through 7, or Romans 8, 14 through 17. Romans 8, 14 through 17. These are just two helpful passages to help uh, reorient your mind to being a what it means to be a child of God be a wonderful way for you to spend the Lord's Day afternoon. Well, I mentioned two turns, two surprises at the end of this text. One is that Jesus is introducing God as our Heavenly Father in our adoption. The second, did you notice Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit here? Doesn't that seem a little bit out of place? Well, to think about this, remember what we saw earlier of the promise in verse 10 when Jesus said, everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks it will be opened. So how could this tr promise be true? Is this just God promising us to give us everything we ever want? If we ask for it, we'll get it. I don't think that's what's happening here. Uh, the analogy of the scorpion, by the way, was helpful. The point was that a father knows to only give good gifts to his children. God will only give that which is good for you in his divine wisdom. If we ask boldly, and he'll never give us anything bad, then, so why do we keep asking? Uh, doesn't God already know our needs? I think the key is here at the end of verse 13. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give? And we would expect him to say, great gifts. 
wouldn't we? I mean, you're evil, you give good gifts. Heavenly Father is not evil, he must give great gifts. Look what he says. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Friends, when we come to God in prayer, God gives us himself. Don't you see it? In Christ's mind, God responds to our prayers by promising to give us, to always give us the greater gift of the Spirit, his own being, who God is. I, I think this is tapping into the very design of prayer. He's designed to work in us through our prayers. Not because he's weak without them. It's not like God is up there and he just, he needs ammunition. Uh, he's weak to accomplish what he wants and is just waiting on us in order to work. Because he can't do it. No, the, the needs and trials of our lives are in large part an opportunity for us to train our affections on him. He knows that our coming to him will be one way that he teaches us to get more of him, to commune with him. Your restless desires, the, the trials that right now you are walking through in your life, are meant to push you towards him more so that he can just give himself to you. They're an opportunity to prove that he is a rewarder to those who seek him. Hebrews 11:6. He'll never give you a scorpion, even if you ask for one. But he'll always give you himself when you come. Oh, beloved, wouldn't you approach this good father? We should conclude. We, we've looked at the model for prayer. We've seen the posture of, of shameless boldness in our prayer. And we've seen the person of prayer that we're pursuing. I wonder if, if the shape of this whole text, if you've caught it as we've worked through it. Do you notice what we just studied? Jesus just spent three verses teaching us what to pray. Relatively short directions, honestly. But then he spends nine verses convincing us to pray. Tell, telling us, come, Come to the Father. He is spending the bulk of his teaching of the disciples, persuading them not to wait. Don't wait to come pray. I wonder what you'll do this week. I wonder if you'll approach your Father. You know, your prayer life is one of the clearest and most beautiful testimonies that you have, that you actually believe he's your Father. Won't you run to him this week? Ask boldly, for you have a good father. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you choose to call yourself our father. Father, we pray that we would come to you as a father who is waiting to hear from us. Father, we pray for your help to run to you as we ought. Father, we pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit. 
that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit, that we might commune with you and know you as we bring all of our needs and all of the requests of our heart to you. May we trust you to give us only what's good. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.